Verdant Robotics is offering a smart sprayer that helps farmers reduce labor and input costs. But don't let the word robotics in the name fool you. Their technology, although very cutting edge, hooks right onto existing equipment like any other farm implement. Here at Verdant, we have a slogan called Autonomy Last. So even though our co-founders and early employees all uh, were foundational in the birth of that industry, um, it's the last thing that we're going to do. The majority of the value that we're going to provide the grower is automating the machine on the back. That's actually where the value is being provided. That's Curtis Garner, co-founder and chief commercial officer at Verdant Robotics. As he referenced, a lot of their team, like Chief Operating Officer Brent Shedd, came from the world of autonomous vehicles. But they're now laser-focused on farmers in building the next generation of smart, tech-enabled farm equipment. If you're a grower and you're looking at an implement that isn't software-defined, you should really rethink the way that you're evaluating the long-term viability of the equipment on your on your farm because you want implements that will only increase in value to your operation the longer that you own them. Brett Shedd and Curtis Gardner from Verdant Robotics join guest host Rishi Pate on today's Future of Agriculture podcast. Hello, fellow Agner. Thank you so much for joining me for another episode of the Future of Agriculture. My name is Tim Hamrich, and every week you and I get to hear from the founders, farmers, innovators, and investors, the people shaping the future of the ag industry. Now, before we dive in, I want to thank our quarterly presenting sponsor, which is a company that tells you what you don't want to know. Every three seconds, FarmWave's Harvest Vision system is counting your harvest losses off the header and from the combine and reporting them to you in the cab in real time. Make changes on the fly and watch your loss counts drop without having to stop or do manual harvest loss counts again. Models are currently available in corn and soybeans with several other crops in development for release soon. But don't take my word for it. Listen to an actual FarmWave customer. The loss sensors on our combine were debatable at best. There's some days they worked perfect and gave us an accurate idea of how much loss we were having. And there was other days where they weren't close. And, and so it was con- kind of this constant struggle of my, my factory sensors are showing loss. Is it true? So you were constantly not only fighting the sensors, but actually true loss in the field. So if, if you're not confident in the seat on your factory loss sensors, FarmWave is a great addition, or if you have an inexperienced operator running another machine, this is a great way to kind of keep tabs on on everybody. Um, And again, it's not going to be perfect and tell you the exact bushel loss, but if it's going to point out trends that you can then make changes on, that's it'll be a good fit for their operation. Join the ranks of farmers deploying Harvest Vision in their fields to ensure no bushel gets left behind. Put AI to work on your farm. Just visit farmwave.io to chat with one of their experts or locate a dealer near you. Thank you so much to FarmWave for supporting farm innovation and the Future of Agriculture podcast. All right, now back to today's episode with Curtis and Brent at Verdant Robotics. And as I mentioned earlier, this episode is not hosted by me. It's hosted instead by Rishi Pete. Now, many of you are probably familiar with Rishi from his very detailed and very insightful newsletter called Software is Feeding the World. If you're at all interested in ag tech and for some reason are not already subscribed to that newsletter, I'm going to do you a huge favor and put a link to it in the show notes. So go subscribe now. It's free. Very much worth your time. I always uh, learn a lot from his newsletter. So highly recommend that. I will link to that in the show notes. Rishi is definitely a wealth of knowledge in technology generally 
and specifically in artificial intelligence and in product management, where he's worked for over two decades. Most recently, he was with ag tech companies like Mineral and the Climate Corporation, and he really approaches this interview from that lens of both analyzing the tech details, but also how it might appeal to a customer, how it might be compatible with uh, what a customer needs. Rishi's currently in a bit of a time of transition and looking for his next project, so he had some time to contribute to the podcast. So when he offered, I uh, welcomed it with open arms because he provides such an informed and genuinely curious perspective that uh, I think really fits the show very well. So Rishi, with all that, thank you for bringing this interview to us today. And um, one aspect of your background that I don't think I know for sure is what initially led you into ag tech. I know you worked in supply chain tech before, and I think in digital publishing with Kindle, if I remember right. Uh, but what was it that uh, led you into ag tech specifically all those years ago? Yeah, I mean, it was more of an accident, I would say. I had been working with a lot of you know, fresh produce growers uh, here in California, but it was not on the farm. It was post-harvest supply chain optimization to help them figure out how can they provide them, you know, the freshest and the highest quality perishable item to their customers downstream. And so I'd spend most of my time downstream. And as I sort of looked into it more and more, we were trying to figure out what can we learn from this process and send the signals back upstream to the farmer at the farm level so that you actually get a product out which is which is going to survive longer, has better taste, et cetera, right? I'm very much in a believer of sort of building quality into the process, not coming in after the fact. And so that was a thought process which drove me to the Climate Corporation, which obviously works, used to work and continues to work with a lot of farmers. And and for this next, you know, this next step for you in your career, uh, what's what's top priority for you on on where your career goes next? So I, as I said, I'm a techno optimist. So I'm going to stay in tech, and hopefully, I can work on projects where you can apply tech to hard problems and help with uh, you know improving sustainability and help with climate change. I think that will be an ideal next step. Uh, so I'm you know, looking at different projects where I can do that and apply my tech knowledge and experience to different problem sets. Cool. And that's what your your newsletter focuses on, you know, is, is technology. And you really do some great in-depth uh, analysis on, on what's happening in tech. And um, I, I've enjoyed reading it. And so I, I'm just delighted that you were willing to to do an interview and bring it onto the show with, with Verdant Robotics. Uh, maybe talk about... Uh, for your first hosting job on the Future of Agriculture podcast, why you wanted to uh, target this story? Yeah, so I think there's been a lot of talk about using artificial intelligence at the farm in different use cases. And a big one that everyone is talking about is, uh, especially in specialty crops, is how can we use uh, technology and, and AI to reduce some of the labor challenges, which are real here in California and in all over the world, especially in specialty crops. And also how can we use, how can we do more with less, right? I think that's sort of the philosophy. And so there are a lot of startups in this space, a lot of bigger companies trying to solve those problems. And I had the privilege to see some of the demos at FIRA 2023 and Verdant was one of them. And I, I found it very interesting and I wanted to learn more. Uh, so that's why I reached out to them. Uh, and, and thank you, Tim, for allowing me to get behind the mic here. 
so that that was the genesis of the idea. I just wanted to learn more. I was curious how their technology worked. The business model was changing, and, and you know potentially this technology can uh, bring about a better future. Great. And I know, yeah, you spent time with them in person and then had the interview as well. Uh, just tee up for us who the audience is going to be hearing from at Verdant. Yeah, so you'll hear from two people on the podcast here. One is Curtis, who is the co-founder of Verdant, and then Brent, uh, who is the chief operating officer. And both of them have you know, deep experience working in both robotics as well as with working with a lot of different farmers, uh, especially in specialty crop and then taking some of their products to market, thinking about the business model. And that is something that you'll hear on the podcast as well. All right. Well, with that, we'll just drop you right into the conversation here between Rishi as well as Curtis Garner and Brent Shedd from Verdant Robotics. The first voice you're going to hear is Curtis, who, again, is one of the co-founders as well as the chief commercial officer. He'll be talking about some of the basics of what Verdant Robotics does. Then you're going to hear from Brent. It'll be the next voice you hear after Rishi uh, talking about who the customers are. Enjoy this conversation about Verdant Robotics. So at Verdant Robotics, we use machine learning and computer vision to see objects of interest and spray molecules on the objects of interest. So that would look like weeding in organic carrots or artificial pollinating crops like apple. We were founded uh, in late uh, 2018, really got started in earnest in 2019. And it was co-founded by a computer scientist and a gentleman from agriculture, myself in trying to figure out how we could apply technology to agriculture and derive value for farmers. Very cool. And uh, what are some of the problems that you solve for your customers? And you could also, if you could also talk about who are the customers that were in robotic services. Yeah, I mean, I, I think the majority of the customers are growers, um, whether they're like Curtis was saying, orchard, you know, growers or specialty crop growers. It was actually a specialty crop grower that kind of brought Verdant out of the orchard space into the specialty crop space because of Verdant's ability to pollinate apple orchards. There was a grower that wanted to see if the technology would work in carrots for, you know, tightly spaced what's called high density crops. So that's how Verdant kind of transitioned into the specialty crop space. And that has been the focus for the company ever since is uh, expanding the number of crops that the machine works in. And because the machine can work in high density crops, it can work in all different crops. So a uh, very large market application. So what are some of the crops you mentioned specialty, you mentioned carrots, what are some of the other crops that your technology can work in or you hope it works in? Yeah, so it, it works in all uh, specialty row crops. So Garlic, onions, carrots, you know, potatoes, tomatoes, all the leafy greens, cabbage, uh, Brussels sprouts, artichokes. So anything grown in the Central Valley or Salinas or Yuma and uh, other states that do specialty as well. And which operations are you doing? Are you doing harvesting? Are you doing weeding? Like, could you provide more context on what is it that your equipment or your robots are doing in the field in, let's say, carrots or, or lettuce? Yeah, so the platform is uh, we spray, we do spot spraying. So think about microliters per square centimeter. So an aimable squirt gun parking molecules directly on target. What that looks like right now is uh, weeding in specialty row crops. And we're also going to be doing thinning uh, this season as well. 
And then the other items of interest down the road is going to be applying uh, fertilizer and other crop protectant. Right. And uh, what is the value that your customer, your farmer, like what is your sales pitch? Give me your sales pitch. Assume I'm a farmer and assume I have some money, right? Uh, which I don't, but let's assume that. Uh, try to sell me what you're trying to sell me. Yeah, so we solved the labor availability challenge at the growers face, so they can't get enough people to work on the farm uh, currently. Then we also provide up to 96% less uh, materials being sprayed. So you have a savings in, in the materials as well. Okay, so you're going to save me money on labor and you're going to save me money on chemicals. How, how do you do that? Tell me more. How, how does that work? Well, and I think it's, if I can add something to that, um, it's not just the, the labor savings, it's also the risk mitigation, right? Because anytime I'm relying on labor, there's a chance the labor doesn't show up or COVID breaks out and my labor is all sick. If I'm relying on a service, I'm relying on the fact that I can get my, my field into the schedule of the service provider when everybody else is wanting it to. So we're really mitigating that risk by allowing the growers to own the equipment and run the equipment whenever they need to, which works with their program. And I think the difference between the Verdant Smart Sprayer and the other products that are out there is that Verdant's ability to put molecules on target, as Curtis you know, mentioned, with the little kind of sniper gun application turret action that we have under the under the hood of these things allows us to not just hit the the weeds very precisely but actually hit all of the weeds even the weeds that are right up next to the crop as well as hit the weeds at all different growth stages right so if i'm a little bit late in getting my equipment into the field if those weeds get too large other application methods might not work, right? If I'm in a high density crop, I can't get mechanical actuation in there. So I can't, I can't get blades in there. So I've got to use a spray or a laser. And in the case of Verdant's solution, you just, you know, amp up the mix to hit a larger growth size and you can effectively terminate weeds of any size in your field. Yeah, the machine can uh, just uh, shot by shot how much uh, product it puts out and also the spray pattern. To paint a picture for the listeners of what the robot looks like, uh, we attach an implement to the back of a tractor. It doesn't matter the color of the farmer's tractor. It'll attach uh, to any uh, tractor, and it's a, a smart sprayer. So right now it's 20 feet long. It's about five feet wide, and there's multiple uh, spray boxes, what we call spray boxes under there, and each spray box has four turrets, so four aimable sprayers that um, take different assignments and shoot uh, different weeds as we're going down the field. Right. No, that's, that's really interesting. Thank you for describing the equipment. Yeah, the only thing that I would add to that is speed. So all the early employees and, and co-founders of the company all came from the self-driving car world. And so we're really applying that technology to agriculture. So they were deploying machine learning on the highways where a vehicle is going 50 miles an hour, right? So we're going to apply that technology into ag, and we can go much faster than the competition. I mean, you spoke about self-driving cars. Do you anticipate that a lot of your robots or other companies' robots are going to be autonomous in the future? That, you know, what, what do you think about that, given your example of self-driving cars? Yes. So Brent came from uh, self-driving as well, but 
here at Verdant, we have a slogan called Autonomy Last. Uh, so even though our co-founders and early employees all uh, were foundational in the birth of that industry, um, it's the last thing that we're going to do. The majority of the value that we're going to provide the grower is automating the machine on the back. That's actually where the value is being provided. Getting the tractor to, to go from point A to point B is a pretty trivial problem. It's solved. You know, we have GPS denied navigation. We could do this in orchards or underneath uh, almond trees and not a problem. But for the grower, it's a very small piece of the cost, right? And so in the future, we can automate it. We can flip one more switch and do it. But for now, uh, we're not going to uh, try to attack that problem. But I, I do think a key element there is that we're selling them a piece of equipment that works with the tractors they already own, right? So they've already got the operators, they've already got the tractors. You don't have to go out and buy a special massive, you know, higher series tractor or anything for this unit. You already own the equipment you need to to run a, a Verdant smart sprayer. So that makes it really, really easy. And all we're trying to do is break down those barriers for the growers to be able to, to get in and, and start realizing that ROI as quickly as possible. Yeah, I think that makes sense. Um, yeah, your autonomy last is a very curious statement. And my understanding is driven mostly by the fact that making autonomy of the driving portion of the tractor is a small component of value versus trying to automate and be more precise on the actual operation itself. Is that a good summary? That's a perfect summary. That's correct. I mean, it's it's also about, so the manufacturer has to pass cost increases on the customer, right? So if I'm trying to build a unit that is both a single purpose tractor, essentially, and the actuation of the unit itself, I'm essentially duplicating resources that I've already got a tractor on the farm. Why are you trying to you know, duplicate that and, and give me actually a limited purpose tractor in your unit, right? So you've got to pass that cost on to the customer. So uh, there are a lot of you know, companies in this space that started down that path, whether it was farm-wise, whether it was carbon, they all pivoted and went to a tractor-pulled implement because it just wasn't wasn't financially feasible. It didn't make sense where we are today. And I think, you know, Curtis has mentioned this. I totally agree that eventually all of our units in the field will be autonomous, right? But that's eventually. That's probably a decade or more in the future. We're not anywhere close today just from an ROI perspective. So it doesn't make sense to pursue that straight up. If you if you desperately want your tractor to drive itself, there are retrofit kits that you can throw on your cab and you're good to go, right? <laughs> so it's not hard to solve. Yeah. You know, I, I do want to touch on, you know, I was looking at your website when you announced your fundraise uh, from, you know, different very well-known venture capitalists last year in November. You know, you talked about robots as a service. And over the last couple of months, what I've heard more is people, a lot of people, depending on, you know, your farm size and, and you know, how much financial strength you have, a lot of people are interested in buying the robot. So what does your sales process look like? What does your business model look like? Because last year you talked about robots as a service, but things seem to be changing there. Yeah. So the company has been operating as a service from inception and there was consistent requests from the customers to purchase the units because growers like to own their units. It helps with their risk mitigation that we talked about earlier. 
And we finally decided, you know what, we're enforcing kind of a customer first culture within the organization. And it was time to live that customer first culture with our business model. So we decided, all right, the customers want to own the units. Let's move to a sales model that changes the relationship with us, right? Because when I own a unit, I kind of become part of the family. And there's also a deeper integration of kind of R&D because you get that feedback from the owners about the new capabilities they would like to see the robots being used in. And there's, there's just a ton of innovation in the ag space, particularly with growers. They always see new opportunities. So we want to have that relationship with the growers and we want to build out those tools for them and with them. Uh, and so that is that is the the transition that we're undergoing in this fourth quarter. And the robots are available for sale now and will be available for sale in the, you know, going forward. Yeah, I think that seems like a very big and interesting change. And I'm assuming as a farmer also, it is very daunting to say, okay, I'm gonna buy this expensive piece of equipment I mean, these are expensive right now. Hopefully, those prices will come down. And so I have to put up money up front. I need to know how to operate this. Who's going to come and support me? Like, you know, all these other questions come up when I'm not using it as a service. And I'm sure you guys have thought about it. Like, could you speak to what was the thought process like when you decided to switch from a service model to an ownership model? And how would you address some of these concerns that a farmer might have? Yeah, I, I think all those are super important, right? And you want to have sales and support within just a few hours of your of your customers' fields, right? So that's why initially we're going to be focusing on sales in just the California, Arizona, Pacific Northwest area that we can get to quickly and provide that high level of service that I think is super important. At the same time, we're talking with distributors big distributors, all the distributors you would expect, and others to identify what is the best distribution outlet for our machines, both nationally and internationally. And then, you know, 2024 is going to be a lot about getting that distribution system off the ground and functioning properly so that we can expand, but we're going to be expanding very strategically and make sure that we're not you know, we're not putting the product out there in areas that we cannot support successfully, right? Because that's not fair to the customer and it's not fair to the organization that we're trying to run. So uh, we're doing that very strategically and thoughtfully. Yeah, I think I, that's an interesting perspective. You know, going, going on the other side as a customer or a potential customer of your technology, you're well-funded, you know, you're building the tools and the robots that are needed. You know, as a farmer, I'm, I'm still skeptical about the ROI, right? I'm now owning this uh, expensive piece of equipment. What happens when things break down? Uh, tech changes. You know, in a service model, I don't own it. You know, you will just bring your new version of your robot. Once I own it, I'm stuck with it. Like the hardware changes, the software changes. How do I make sure that this is a piece of equipment which is going to give me value for the next couple of years, and not just this year, this season. Yeah, that's uh, why we started as Robotics as a Service, and we couldn't sell the machine to a grower and saddle him you know, with a million-dollar paperweight, right? The cameras are changing, computers are changing, software was ever-changing. 
Uh, we've now settled in on that hardware, so we're not changing the computers and the lenses and the cameras. Um, that's all set in stone. That's locked in, and we're going to a model year release, and that hardware is not going to change significantly over the next uh, few years, right? Um, the only way the hardware changes is if we add new capability like spraying multiple products at one time and doing multiple jobs in one pass. That will require a small hardware change, and that will be a much less expensive upgrade to the machine that will be able to upgrade the machines that got sold in previous years to do that. So the platform itself is, you could think of it more as a software-defined robot, right? So all the increases and upgrades to the machine is going to be over-the-air updates uh, and continuously monitored and, and upgraded over time. So if a grower buys a machine today, it's not going to be obsolete in the next five years. Yeah, then that's the new paradigm in this space, right? Is if you're a grower and you're looking at an implement that isn't software defined, you should really rethink the way that you're evaluating the long-term viability of the equipment on your on your farm because you want implements that will only increase in value to your operation the longer that you own them, not degrade and just, you know, become another piece of junk in the discard pile. Yeah. I think that's very interesting. So what advice would you give to a farmer who is in the market to look for the what are the questions I should ask if when someone like Warden comes to me, right? Because I'm used to buying a piece of equipment which doesn't change what it can do because there's limited software in it versus buying something which is software in it. It's a very different way to think about the product. So what are the right questions that I as a grower should ask somebody like a Warden or, or the next Actec Robotics company which shows up at my door to make sure I'm making the right decision for me? I mean, I, I think it opens the door for the question of what have you done for me lately, <laughs> right? So it's, I know I bought this as a, as a, to solve my weeding problem, but the, the right question is, okay, great. So I'll get my ROI off of that, that weeding solution itself, but what's next? Thinning? Great. When is that coming? Fertilization? Great. When is that coming? Pollination? When is that coming? And just have that open discussion with the manufacturers around what's next. And, and as I come up with my own ideas of, hey, I, I've run this thing in my field. I think it could be doing X, Y, or Z. What is my pathway to funneling that information into your organization? And what is the you know, rubric inside your company to, to take action on that information so that I know that I'm a part of building the future solutions for my own operation and for, you know, everybody else, for the, the industry as a whole, right? Because that's what any ag tech company today should be thinking about is how are we progressing the industry as a whole and creating these transformative technologies that are going to you know, help us get greater yields with lower inputs and lower costs so everybody stays in business and we continue to feed the planet. Right. Now, I think that's a good framework of asking what's next, what are you going to do next with the same piece of equipment and maybe a few small hardware changes, Curtis, as you mentioned, if you're going to do a new, new operation instead of weeding, you're going to add something else. So could you talk about what are some of the other things that you are thinking about, you know, beyond weeding and spraying, which you think you could potentially add to your uh, robots in the future? 
Yeah, so I'll we'll talk about the ones that we, we are adding currently and their software assets uh, going for it right now. So we'll be thinning uh, this next season uh, for the Salinas area. Uh, after that, it'll be uh, microfertilization. So just putting fertilizer directly on the plant and um, delivering things like humic acid and a little bit of microbes as a starter fertilizer to, to young plants. That's exactly where we're starting now. The growers, it would be lovely for them to chat with us and talk about us uh, and drag us through the nose in the market on what they want to see next. But we believe the agronomic insights are going to become more and more important. So if they would like to know something about the crop, you know, what is the, the crop stand? What is the wheat density? What does a, a geospatial map look like? What is the size distribution? Is there something about the greenness or health that you could tell me? Could you identify pest damage or see crop fungus or disease uh, early and uh, make a recommendation and, and apply products to help combat that. Um, those are going to be the future growth areas of the company. Well, that sounds like a very exciting roadmap. As a product manager, I'm excited uh, that you have all these things in the pipe. And I want to go back again to the customer. It's, it's great. You're going to add some new operation which the robot couldn't do it. Are you going to charge me for it? You know, Could you speak about sort of your pricing model, you know, I, I buy this for a huge amount of money or, or a DC, you know, it's an expensive piece of equipment. You know, what else does that include? Yeah, so uh, we've done uh, price discovery conversations with our current customers and we've tried different things like bundling versus unbundling and uh, the growers really weren't a huge uh, fan of unbundling. So we've bundled a lot of that. So there's, you know, one uh, service charge and that comes with us uh, remote monitoring the performance of the machine with the upgrades, with access to the machine learning models and all the new improvements with that a white glove uh, service plan, especially for this first year when uh, we're learning and the grower is as well. How that changes uh, in future years uh, remain to be seen, but we listen very closely to the customers and meet them where they're at. What would they like to see? Um, we know we have to work within their economics. And so um, we're uh, trying our best to provide ROI as soon as possible to the customer. Yeah, we, we talk a lot about total cost of ownership. And we know that that's, you know, for the growers, if I don't know what my total cost of ownership is, I read that as risk, right? Because I don't know if I'm going to have budget for that, you know, later on or whatever. So as much as we can give them the comfort level of, I know exactly how much this is going to cost me for my next season, for my next three seasons, whatever it is, those are the models, like Curtis said, that we're trying to put together that gives them that, that total cost of ownership picture. Yeah, and if I'm a farmer who bought your robot, you know, operating a large piece of equipment can be daunting. It's a million-dollar piece of equipment. It's a brand-new thing, something that I have not seen. Give me some comfort that I can do this on my own, and when things break, which they will, where are you going to be, right? Yeah, 100%. So in a previous life, I was a part of making an automatic transplanter. And that transplanter got too complicated for the for the field staff to be able to service and repair that machine. So that was a life lesson that I really internalized and brought that lesson to Verdant. And my co-founder, Gabe, already intuitively understood what I was trying to tell him. So the robot is very easy and modular. So it's like red LED, green LED, right? Red change it, don't root cause and diagnose, just go ahead and change out that component, get that machine operating, get that uptime, send that component that broke back to HQ, we'll let the PhDs root cause and diagnose that and change out that chip that failed. Uh, so we never find that failure mode again, right? 
to give a little bit more teeth to that, we operated in very remote areas inside of uh, California. And a lot of the times, uh, our tractor drivers might not want to uh, come all that way and stay in a hotel for months on end. So we'd hire local talent in the small towns that we we're at. These were folks off of weeding crews, or maybe they're a tractor driver, or maybe they had no experience in agriculture whatsoever. And within four hours, we had them trained up and operating the robot perfectly. So it's uh, really not a big deal to train the, the drivers on how to service this equipment. Uh, but beyond that, we're actually going to be there in the field with the growers, um, especially for the first 12 machines, given the white glove service. So if the robot ever breaks, we're going to be in proximity to that to get it uh, operational quickly. Yeah, that's good to know that the PhD will be on your side. I don't need to have a PhD to use your piece of equipment. That That's good. Um, Brent, coming to you, and you know, Curtis talked about some of the lessons that he brought from his previous experience. I know, Brent, you, you, know, you worked in this space for some time. Like, what are some of the learnings that you have brought from your previous experience? And maybe you made some mistakes in the past. All of us do. Like, what are the things that you are determined not to do at Wodent? Wow. I thought this was only an hour podcast. Um, yeah, I, I think in terms of the learnings, a lot of those are around the, you know, working with a strategic partner for distribution, right? And understanding what it's like to interface with a Goliath organization when you're a smaller ag tech company and, you know, a day, a week at an ag tech company like Verdant is the equivalent of, you know, three months at a Goliath, right? They just don't run at the same pace that we do. And so it's it's understanding the way that their teams are formulated, the way that their teams interact. In many cases, they don't even know each other. They've never met each other before because there are, there are thousands of them, right? So it's understanding how to penetrate those kinds of organizations and work successfully with them to get that distribution amongst the dealerships and, and be able to successfully support the dealers, both you know, here in the, the local space as well as nationally and internationally understanding what those kinds of sales enablement materials are, understanding how to motivate the sales teams within the distributors, because their, you know, their motivations are quite different than a direct sales team from an ag tech company. So there's a lot of those kind of just cultural and executional parameters that can actually wind up being lethal to a small organization if you don't, if you don't know enough of it ahead of time to execute correctly and set expectations, particularly with your board. Right. Yeah, I think I have a follow-up there. I mean, it's, you know, how you're going to market and which type of distribution channels you access. I think that's one thing. And then the second is your change from a service model to a direct sales model. Is that going to change the type of customer, I'm thinking about a grower, that you will be able to address their needs early on? Because if I'm buying a piece of equipment, do I have to be a larger, well-financed, well-capitalized grower to work with you? Uh, it feels like you know, your technology might not be applicable for a very small grower, at least right now, based on the business model change. Yeah. I mean, actually, going to a, going to a strategic partner, like what we're talking about, 
opens the doors for all kinds of opportunities there, right? Because if I'm a smaller grower, I might be able to rent the equipment from my local dealership, right? Whereas today, you're not going to rent the equipment from Verdant, right? I can finance that equipment through the dealership. Verdant doesn't finance equipment, right? So those are the advantages of going through a strategic partnership path is it opens up all kinds of different capabilities. In fact, with the right strategic partner, you know, they'll wind up packaging our implement with a tractor. So you get a, you know, a two for one kind of situation type of deal thing. So it just extends the benefits to the grower that as a, you know, as an ag tech company today, we, we can't do because we don't have that kind of heft behind us to, to finance things for our customers. And for me, it was a paradigm shift and it really opened up who I considered a customer, right? Because um, it's actually going to provide more access to growers and a greater base of, of growers access to our technology faster because I was limited in scaling myself and my organization and, and the people. The speed at which I was going to scale is, is as fast as I could scale the people. Now we get to leverage the dealers, other uh, organizations like a Wilbur Ellis or a Nutrien right, that they already have service organizations that they do this, they already do custom spraying. So this is just a product offering they can put right into their program. And they have a huge install base into all these agricultural areas. There's folks like uh, previous friends of mine um, that do custom transplanting or custom harvesting of various crops. And this provides them another revenue stream in a window where they're not as busy. So they can keep uh, their employees busier and uh, keep a hold of more staff and uh, increase the training and, and quality of individual there. Um, so it really does open up the world to uh, our technology, which I'm so excited to do. Yeah, I think that makes a lot of sense. I think partnering with a bigger company gives you that flexibility. You know, a lot of people say that venture capital is not the right way to fund agrobotics companies. And obviously, you guys have taken capital from you know VCs. Could you speak to this sentiment? Is it right? Is it wrong? And why, right? Yeah. So it's a significant amount of investment that's necessary to bring technology like this to fruition, right? So I I do believe the venture capital is is the right uh, approach to go after this. I think the flavor of venture capital it, it comes in many different flavors, but the flavor is one that's more long term. Um, there's a whole uh, zeitgeist switch within the VC community about going from bytes and bits to atoms. And I think that's uh, the correct and where the next uh, really large value is going to be created in the market. I think some of the pitfalls that you're seeing and some of the, the other people that have made different choices might have been led astray by uh, technology for technology's sake and you know, a solution in search of a problem. Uh, we did a whole market sweep put Gabe and team around to talk to my network and the network of my network and did a listening tour for roughly six months. You know, I've got a bunch of technologists that can develop crazy technology, but what is the correct application to solve? And so, you know, we came across this application and in non-contact spraying and really saw that, oh wow, like this is this is the path forward. This is the way that we could deliver the most value to the customer. Yeah. I mean, talking about, you know, a decade from now, given this is the Future of Agriculture podcast, if you look in the crystal ball, what is happening very differently on a carrot farm, let's say in 2033, 10 years from now? Could you paint a picture, both of you? 
Yeah, I think you're tending to every plant, not to every plot, every block or every field or every ranch, right? So you're, you're actually going to farm at an individual plant level. I think you're going to be able to uh, know the needs of that plant much more specifically and uh, with data, right? You're actually going to have in, empirical parameters to apply to grow those crops better, which I think is absolutely fantastic. I think the materials that we're going to use are going to get more and more specific. So as the consumer continues to demand, you know, less products, uh, higher uh, safety products, the chemical retailers and manufacturers are going to start to make products. I think one of the cool things about autonomy is that it unlocks the amount of trips you can take. So maybe you can use softer molecules that aren't so efficacious, but you can take more trips through the field because it's economically viable and uh, grow, you know, healthier food for humans, which I think is fantastic. And also providing a better environment for all the animals and insects that live out there. So uh, we'll see increased biodiversity and, and health, which I think is phenomenal. We're going to use vastly less fertilizers, which I think is phenomenal. I think we're going to learn a lot more about farming in 3D. So a lot of the farmers today, you know, farm from ground up, right? But uh, farming is a three-dimensional problem. You can't see it, but, you know, a lot of plants have two to one root to shoot. So for every inch the crop grows tall, it's two inches underneath the soil. So we'll continue to learn about the microbes there and the mycorrhizae and fungi and how to uh, make that produce better, uh, healthier food for us. Brent, what do you think? I mean, I think I think you covered a, a lot of the uh, the advantages. One thing that, that AI does exceptionally well is it ingests vast quantities of information and finds trends and analyses that humans can do. It just takes us a really long time to do it, right? So my expectation is looking 10 years into the future, I'm still growing carrots, but I might be growing carrots in a different part of my farm than I was before. And I've, I've optimized my yield of my total yield from my operation based on insights that the AI has given me in terms of what are the best crops that I can plant throughout my ground based on my geography, my microclimates, my available water, my you know soil densities, all those kind of things, and even like pests, right? Because I've got pests that are just consecutive problems in, in areas of my operation. There are crops that those pests don't like. So let's stop fighting nature and instead let's use intelligence to not necessarily outsmart nature, but at least, you know, generate better outcomes for my farming operation so that I'm not, I'm not trying to fight, you know, those elements that can be super detrimental to my bottom line as I'm trying to, you know, course correct, whether it's the lack of water or the, like we was talking, the disease detection elements or the, the pest issues or whatever. So my hope is that we're, we're putting AI to use for us on the farm to help me make better financial choices, better you know crop choices, better choices for the planet, for the environment, and you know that can take so many different forms. But that's my that's my hope. All right. Well, big thank you to both Curtis and to Brent from Vernant Robotics for being on the show. We'll be sure to leave a link in the show notes where you can go learn more about their work. But before I let you go, Rishi, I would like to know, uh, 
how did you feel? How did the first podcast interview go from your perspective? What were your takeaways? Is this maybe going to be something we can expect more of uh, from you on the Future of Agriculture podcast here? I think let's see what the audience reaction is. I was nervous getting behind the mic, especially on a big name podcast like yours, Tim. But that's why I want to do my research uh, and make sure I had enough context to guide and have a good discussion with the group there. So overall, it was fun, even though I was nervous, I would say. And I think there are a couple of things which stood out to me as I'm reflecting on, on the discussion. One was how Verdant and other companies are thinking about a business model change from being a services company to you know, being outright sales. I think that was very interesting. And what is the thought process behind it? I think the second, which you know you have talked about quite a bit, is one of the ways to get access to distribution for new startups is to partner with existing companies. And that continues to be true, which also poses challenges in terms of what are the potential exits. We didn't touch on that, but I think that was interesting. And then the most interesting thing for me was, which was autonomy last, which I had not heard before because people talk a lot about autonomy, but I really appreciated how they broke down where the real problem is or where the real challenges lie in terms of human labor availability and them going after that problem accordingly. So I think that was, I think those are three main reflections for me. Yeah, absolutely. I, I love also that you really drilled into the ROI here because um, sometimes on 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 this podcast for sure, and, and in general, we like we get excited talking about the technology and um, can get so excited that we actually get further and further away from real ROI. So I appreciated you know you guys having that conversation in depth and and we go quick to say that robotics is all about labor savings and and I think maybe that's a trope that is not always true. Yeah, and I think we talked a lot about uh, chemical savings. We talked about risk management through their business model, which was also very interesting uh, to me. And I think what also stood out was, yes, tech is super important and it has to work. But what is also equally or maybe more important is how are you going to support your customers out in the field? What does your distribution network look like when the machine breaks down are you there to support your customer or not? I think if you don't have those elements, the best take will not be successful. So I think that realization came through quite strongly on, on the discussion. Hmm. Yes, it did. Well, what a great place to end here, Rishi. Uh, I cannot thank you enough for taking the time to set this interview up, to do all the research you did. And I think it came out really, really well. I know you said you were nervous, but from my perspective, uh, fantastic episode. I definitely learned a lot. I really appreciate your expertise and the genuine curiosity you brought to this interview. I'd love to hear feedback from those of you in the audience. I know Rishi would love to hear your feedback as well. What you thought about this episode, let us know on social media. I'll link to, of course, software is feeding the world where you can subscribe there and correspond directly with rishi as well uh, thank you so much again rishi curtis brent also want to thank farmwave for being our quarterly presenting sponsor this quarter and last but certainly not least thank you for your time and your attention i never take it lightly i'll be back next week with another story of ag innovation 